you keep going on and get more positive feedback. So it wasn't just about job referral. Welcome to the No Language Barriers podcast, a unique show on the secrets to mastering connections with our mastering languages. I am your host, Daisy Wu, the founder and book author of Multilingual Connectors. From Mandarin speaking in China to TEDx events speaking in Australia, I want to inspire and enable you to break barriers and unlock opportunities regardless of how your English is. Apart from myself, you'll learn from young achievers from all walks of life across continents the game-changing mindsets and social skills which enable them to build strong connections across cultures without language mastery. I want you to stop feeling unconfident, undervalued and unfulfilled because of your language skills and any other perceived limitations. What are you waiting for to learn the secrets to fast-track your dreams with no language barriers. Listening. If the world connecting immediately makes you think of getting referrals and deals through professional mingles and coffee catch-ups, have you recognized the other intangible benefits a strong network can offer you, which can also help you achieve all these tangible outcomes faster? As an example, you should know the importance of having confidence and a growth mindset, but possibly you don't really know how to cultivate them in an effective and sustainable way, let alone leveraging other people's insights and perspective via high-quality conversations that can help you in this direction. And this is what you can explore in this episode with our guest, Sally Jen. Sally has over 15 years experience in organizational transformation and change management across multiple sectors, driving complex changes such as operating model change, technology adoption, organizational design, behavior change, and culture change. Born and raised in China, Sally moved to Melbourne, Australia in 2017 with her family. When she's not working, you can find her in concerts and hiking trails across Victoria. Sally is also deeply passionate about diversity, inclusion, and equity. She has been an active leader in her organizations and communities to create a more inclusive culture where everyone feels they belong. In this episode, we'll explore how a diverse network can significantly help us develop a growth mindset and confidence. You'll learn a lot from Sally's story, the critical mindset shift one must embrace to improve communication effectiveness in a foreign language for you to build a supportive circle of your own. Without any further ado, here's your No Language Barriers with Sally Jen. Hey, good afternoon, Sally. Welcome to No Language Barriers. How are you? Good afternoon, Daisy. I'm really good. How are you? I'm really, I'm so excited to have you here. What brought you on to this show on a hectic weekend? Well, thank you for having me. And I think it's a really good initiative to connect with people who 
um, are living in a different country from their homeland and speaking different language, being through barriers and going through a journey to strive in a new country. So I think it's good to join this podcast and bring my experience and hopefully it will be helpful for others who are being through similar journeys. That's so wonderful. I'm so honored to have you as one of my inaugural guests on this podcast to speak from the same experience and similar stories home away from home. So without further ado, shall we start with some fast foundations to introduce yourself? Are you ready? Awesome. Thank you. Let's get it started. Sure. Where did you grow up? Well, I grew up in a very small, remote regional little town in Sichuan province in China. Um, I'm not sure if everybody knows about that city. It's called Emishan. It's a very tiny place and very pure, remote and very, um, how to say, it's far from like busy city kind of vibe. That's where I grew up. Cool. And where do you live now? I live in a southeast suburb in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia, with very beautiful view, very green, and very um, laid back kind of living style. How does it compare to living in your hometown, supposedly surrounded by the mountain ranges? Well, yeah, I am surrounded by lots and lots of greeneries, trees, um, reserves, parks, and mountain ranges with a very good view. In terms of the natural environment, it's not too much different from my hometown because my hometown was also in a mountain area with a very beautiful view. Um, but after I grew up, I moved to a big city called Chengdu, which is the capital city of Sichuan province in China. It's a different kind of environment, very developed, very fast paced compared to my hometown. So in that sense, where I'm living now is more about like having a relaxed lifestyle, enjoy the view, doing exercise, well, not too much different, but a little bit different kind of life. I can see. And how long have you established yourself here in Melbourne for as your second home, can I suppose? Yeah, I am very lucky to call Melbourne my second home. I moved to Australia six years ago in 2017. Yeah, so it's been quite a while and time, fast. time flies really. It totally did. And um, over this period, what's been your favorite or proudest achievement to date, if you may share any? Well, it's actually a really hard question, to be honest, Daisy. Because um, when I look back, I feel proud of every step I took, every decision I made to get myself where I am now. Um, I would say the whole journey, six, seven years journey from the point that I made decision to move overseas, to move to a new country until now, like I'm really striving in the new country and I call this new country my second home, um, including like I took my language test when I was still pregnant with my daughter and got a really good score and then apply a prestigious business school with my MBA program and did another very hectic exam GMAT when I had a newborn baby and then got my permanent residency sorted 
landed my new job in Australia, then second, third, climbing up the corporate ladder. I mean, all those achievements I feel very proud of. It's really hard to pick one as the most proud one. It's like almost like pick your favorite child. But I mean, the whole journey, six years, hasn't been easy. And everything I've been through, I feel really proud of. I think every migrant has different, uniquely amazing story to share. And every one of us should give us a big pat on the back and to celebrate what we have achieved. So mind-blowingly inspiring. It sounds like a decade of achievement already, a great lineup of personal and professional achievements in establishing your families, migrating with your immediate family here, finding your feet in both the academia and the corporate space in a foreign environment. No easy fit at all. And I have no doubt that as we keep navigating in the conversation from here onwards, it will further unfold and give the audience a further glancing to that answer. No, not a single achievement can be your favorite chill because collectively they have been, you know, jointly a big feat on its own merit. Yeah, absolutely. I think in the upcoming conversation, we're going to deep dive into some of that and understand more around what exactly have I achieved and what can be helpful for others. To set the tone for the remaining of the episode, let's probably move on by exchanging our understanding about connecting as a concept and as a means to the end, in my understanding, shall we? Yeah, sure. So do you mind shedding some light on what do you understand by having a connection and why it is so essential for you in an interpersonal context? Yeah, um, I am a papal person. Um, I just love to be connected with people. And to be honest, based on my career journey so far, it's been very essential to me to have a really quality uh, connections professionally. Um, for example, um, I started in Australia fresh. And when I just arrived in Australia, I had less than 100 connections on my LinkedIn. And I had to do a lot of code job applications. I remember in the first one or two months, I applied hundreds and hundreds of jobs with no response at all. And after a few years, I think I've got over a thousand connections on my LinkedIn now, and they're all like real connections, not random people. I knew them, I met them, I caught up with them sometime. And now, if I want to apply for a new job, I don't do code application anymore. I just, I just feel confident that whichever organization I want to go to, which industry I want to move to, I can very sure, I can be very sure that I can get a connection who will be genuinely willing to help me, to provide me information and to support me and to strongly advocate for me to get into the new role. So that's really a benefit of having connections. And that's how it works in Australia job market. And on the other side, not just about job seeking or career development or movements, it's also about getting myself well it's also about encouraging me to be a better version of myself 
for example, I've got a lot of great leaders from my previous organizations. They became my lifelong mentors. They became my champions, and they always they they're always there to provide me guidance when I feel confused, struggled, not sure where I'm going. And they are always there, giving me inspirations and really practical guidance to help me. And we, and I've also met a lot of good friends from workplace, from my study program. They became my lifelong friends as well. They are always there, cheering me up, helping me when I feel less confident, when I start to criticize myself. It's part of my personality, and they're always there to encourage me. And telling me again and again a different story that you are good enough. You should feel proud of yourself. Go for it. So I've got so much energy and help and support from my network. That's really important.、Mm, thank you. I like how, especially, you consciously distinguish a real connection as opposed to the superficial contest or connection as they are commonly termed as on social media, like LinkedIn, wherein we just connect with people literally. Via a mechanical process, crushing that button of connecting and accepting. But in your working definition, I also appreciate that you really unpack this from multiple dimensions, wherein there is a common thread, as I infer, that connections are there to really lift you up. They're there to elevate you, to provide you support. Not just in a professional capacity, but really, as you say, moral supports as well, giving you cross references and different perspectives for you to better view and believe in yourself. And I also wonder as to how you grew from a hundred to one thousand in the space of a few years. So, how did you achieve this? Well, I achieved this through various ways. And、um, first of all, I reach out to people. Because obviously, when I started here, I had my career goal: which industry I want to go into, what kind of roles I want to apply for, what companies are my target companies. So I started to reach out to people from those organizations or from those functional areas to understand more about their background, their journey, how they've been through. So I actively reach out to a lot of people and build the connection, ask for a coffee catch up, and then start the relationship from there. And the other part was hugely from my. MBA program and also my workplace. So not just within my MBA cohort, but also my alumni and the faculty members, and also through the MBA program events, I was able to know a lot more people from different industries through that network in that community. That was a really strong community as well. And the other part was through different events. Because、um, I'm passionate, for example, I'm passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I was involved in a lot of community initiatives and projects. So all those areas that I feel passionate about, I will join events, meetups, and also getting to know people, like-minded people from there, and build the relationship as well. So these are some of the main resources that. Some of the main sources that I got connections, and obviously, as I grow up my network, 
there will be more people reach out to me as well. So I'm also happy to give back to the community. So it's like a two way establishment of the relationship. So I got more and more connections on LinkedIn. Yeah, it's a powerful way to be in the positive feedback loop for you to compound your networking connections. And whilst you characterize yourself as social butterfly in your reply, I do surely remember that last time we spoke about networking and how we achieve from where we started, you did make it really plain that you were once upon a time confronted by various practical challenges. I still remember you had the bun in the oven when you were doing the language test, which you said before, and later on the newborn Plus, you live in the outer suburbs. So uh, there were a lot of logistics for you to get your heads around to really show up to this event. So it really made me ponder as to what did it really take for you to overcome those practical challenges and show up? And how did you exactly convince yourself to trust in a process where there may be not that many immediate benefits? Because not there's no guarantee for any concrete outcomes like a job referral or anything else. So how did you push yourself out there You're and take right. a leap of faith? Yeah, that's a really good question. Although I won't really say that I'm a social butterfly, but I will definitely say from an introvert point of view, I used to be really scared of going out, talking to people I don't know and build network and um, just just go out and for catch-ups. I used to be really scared about that and that wasn't my strength back then, but now I can confidently say social networking, um, doing coffee catch-up, having building relationship with people I don't know really well yet is one of my strengths now. So that's, I feel really confident. And that was quite a journey. As you said at the beginning, I was almost pushed out to having conversation with people because beginning well, starting in a new country, it was realistic to get to know people and then get good job opportunities. That's how it works in Australia. You have to talk to the right people to understand what job opportunities are available whether you are qualified or not you just have to sell your story and you have to advocate for yourself so at the beginning it was more about okay i know i want to get a really good job and i know i won't be able to achieve this without talking to people so i had to do this at the beginning it was a push of getting a job opportunity that was realistic i had to do this but after a few catch-ups I started from people I feel more comfortable with. For example, I started from my MBA alumni. I knew them. I met them in some of the connection events in the university. So I knew they will be really nice to me. They won't say no to me. They won't shut the door. I feel more confident as an introvert to reach out to them. And after a few coffee catch-ups, I realized they are really genuinely helpful. They just wanted to help me and they provide so much information. They share their background, they share their experience, how they went through the journey and get a really good job. And they were really happy to help me refer to a new opportunity or help me even connect to more people in that space. And that gave me a lot of motivation. So after that, 
It wasn't the push of getting a job. It was really enjoying the conversation, enjoying the whole process of meeting new people, learning different things, getting different experience. That was absolutely helpful for me. So after that, it getting to like a positive, positive circulation. You get the positive feedback. You keep going on and get more positive feedback. So it wasn't just about job referral. In some examples, I met. I met someone in a company back in 2018, and I got a role in that company two years after our first coffee catch up. It was not like an immediate benefit, but those relationship will eventually get you somewhere sometime. Yeah, I agree that sometimes you can be in the hunting mentality where you do have a well-defined, tangible and measurable outcome you're going to chase after on the horizon. But other times, I like how you set yourself and prime your mind for those dialogues where you generally see to give and receive the values, which also indirectly seeded, as you said, future opportunities which you might not consciously intend for. But the results will speak for themselves. That's you know the reward. I always believe that's kind of like a divine intervention. You just get what you see. Yeah, absolutely. So amongst those important connections, who are the ones that really have had a significant impact on your trajectory in recent years? Well, that's another tricky question. To be honest, I think I I value all my connections. They all have a very positive impact on my career journey.、Um, I think I mentioned this a little bit in the previous conversation. One of、um, some of the connections are the leaders I met in my previous organizations. They are really inspiring to me, even after. I left the organization. We kept connecting with each other. We kept catching up.、Um, they gave me so much really good advice and on like leadership on how to progress in my career,、um, and especially from women's empowerment point of view. I've met a lot of exceptional female leaders in different industries. They're my source of power. They're my source of inspiration. They always inspired me, encourage me to go forward and to go further. That was part of my like really important connections. And the other part of really important connection who had huge impact on me、um, were some of my friends I met in my MBA program, and also some of them I met in my workplace. Um, I mentioned this a little bit about my personality, my perspective. Sometimes I can get really into my own cycle, my own behavior pattern. For example, sometimes I can be very accommodating, very soft. I say yes to everything, and then end up stretching myself out and burn myself out. And I've got really good friends. They are my sounding boards. They always pick that up. They notice that, and they started to give me feedback and say, "Hey, Sally, you don't have to be so harsh to yourself. If you feel not happy, if you don't want to do this, you don't have to put other people's feeling in front of your own ones. You take care of yourself. Just say no. It's okay to prioritize yourself." 
So I've got these friends who are really honest, open with me, and supporting me. And the other example is, previously I used to be really self-criticizing. I feel less confidence. I always feel like I'm not good enough. And they kept telling me, "No, you're way better than you think yourself, and just back yourself up. You are good enough." You, what you've done, what you've delivered, was amazing. You should have that confidence to bring your, like, get yourself up and be very, very confident to do the things and or pursue the opportunities you want. So these are the very good connections in my network, who just keep cheering me up, backing me up. So I can have different perspective, and I can also be aware of my perception about myself and be a better version of myself. It's so rewarding and also so instrumental to have such a tribe as your own circle to help you outgrow those limiting beliefs and perceptions. As you kept entertaining the term "my limiting belief," my self concept. As far as I'm concerned about your background, I presume there was once upon a time, at least, a sheer driving force stemming from your language background. So, can you tell us what's your first language and how many other languages do you speak apart from English and your native tongue? Yeah,、um, my native language is Mandarin because I'm from China.、Um, I my second language is English, obviously. Unfortunately, I can't speak another language apart from some dialects in China.、Um, a little bit Japanese because I used to watch a lot of J drama and listen to a lot of J pop songs. So I know a little bit Japanese, but I can't speak that at a proficiency level.、Um, yeah, that these are all the language I I could speak. From an occupational point of view, to fulfill your role as a change manager to drive organizational transformation across various sectors in different domains in Australia, how did the use of foreign language once upon a time impact your transitioning? Provided, however, your experience in similar roles in your home country, how did the whole foreign environment serve you? Well, I have to say, at the beginning, it was pretty hard.、Um, I do. I did have language barrier, even though I have learned English in China for over twenty years before I came to Australia. But then after I came here, I realized it was completely different. The English environment I had in China was pretty much based on classroom learning, very limited time, probably one hour a day. It was absolutely not enough. To really having real conversation. So in terms of speaking and writing, I think I was very limited to keep well to really do that.、Um, to give you some real stories, after I came to Australia, I couldn't even pick up the phone and having a proper conversation with people over the phone if I'm not able to see that face or read the lips. I couldn't get people's name, where they're calling from, why they're calling me. I was always like, "Who, where are you calling from, and what was that for?"、Um, it took me a long time to get used to that environment, to build my language capability. I couldn't order properly in the restaurant, so it was that bad when I just came here. I felt confident that my English will be enough, but 
eventually when I came here, I realized it wasn't enough. And I just had a whole lot of work to do to really build my capability to be able to communicate to people. So at the beginning, it was really hard. But after I get through that, you just have to speak, you just have to write, you just have to read every day. This is something you need to do. And fortunately, in Australia, in an English speaking country, we will get more, lot more exposure to the language environment every day. So it just helped me to pick up the language very quickly. I think most of my language ability I'm utilizing now was from the very minimum six seven years in australia but it's hugely improved and ever since that i think it's not a big issue in my work and in my life anymore i am capable enough to communicate my message to others then there's no difference for me versus a native speaker in the job context i'm capable enough to perform my job as a change manager I did. I do need to speak to a lot of different stakeholders to understand the problem and to also sell the solution to be able to elaborate on the solution and get people's feedback. So a lot of communications need to happen in this role. But now I feel less and less challenged in my role. And I think I do have enough capability to perform my role now. Mm. And other than the language hurdle, what else do you reckon are so essential to take on such a people-facing role, starting from the application in the first place, which would have deterred many immigrants or non-native speakers in doubt of their language skills, and also finding your feet on the job and doing your best? I think apart from the language barrier at the very beginning, um, the mindset is also very important. I think at, at the beginning of my new journey in Australia, I tended to take everything on myself. I tended to question myself whether it was because of me that I couldn't communicate effectively on that idea or in that meeting, in that presentation. Um, I always just have like self-criticism after a meeting or something, um, always replay that scenario and then started to judge myself and i think that was a big hurdle that sitting inside of myself it's like a mindset thing but after a few um meetings i had some very open honest conversation with my leader i share with some of them my concern and my self-criticism and i got the feedback from them and most of the time they were like, no, it wasn't because of you that the person didn't really understand that solution or understand what we're saying. It was purely because it was a complex problem. It takes a lot for people to understand that. And we just need to figure out how are we going to do that collectively. It wasn't because of your language. It wasn't because of your communication skill. You should feel more confident about yourself but sometimes it's about the issue itself is very complex to solve the issue itself or the message itself is really complex to deliver and it's not because of you 
and bit by bit i feel more clear around okay not taking things personally and not to be too harsh about myself and rather than thinking about okay that was probably my fault think about what's the real issue what's the real problem how can i get through that so ask a lot of how question it will help me to build more or effective conversations with others i think mm. the mindset change is really important indeed and as basic as it might sound it's so critical that you don't keep the questions within ourselves because I do see, like, as I also suffer from this once upon a time, as you would have also had, I see a strong degree of isolation amongst the population we are once part of, uh, whether it's international students or freshly arrived immigrants. We didn't really have this full spectrum of references when it comes to the language, for example. I was once so isolated within the Chinese Asian circle, the Mandarin-speaking cohorts, to the degree that I lost sight of my real proficiency and ability to use English in an English-speaking country. And whether I was enough was something I later on gradually established, similar to you, with other people, both native-speaking and non-native-speaking. I would sample that part of your story, which you just shared, as an example of how important it is to expand and diversify your network, who you can bounce off for the ideas, for the verification of whatever that you're in doubt of, whether it's your language, your professional acumen, or those situational challenges that you shared as part of your day-to-day -day in doing change management. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Spot on. I think you touched another point that as international students or migrants, often we just want to stick with our own community. That's inevitable. We feel connected with them and we feel we belong. But there, there are good and bad. To be honest, I think from Chinese culture perspective, and um, we tend to focus more on areas of improvements instead of really celebrating what we have achieved. That's a big culture difference versus in some of the other cultures we focus more on what we're good at what's our strengths and um, for improvement areas we consider it's more like a continuous process and it's we don't have to be too harsh on ourselves and always focus on what went wrong or what we're not good enough at instead of thinking about that thinking about what we have done so well in the past journey and in the future even though some some things that i'm not good at just yet but i'm moving towards that i'm improving i'm growing that's good enough so having that different perspectives um getting into different communities and see how different they think about themselves and learn from different culture, get the best essence of them will help us to really build a growth mindset, um, regardless if it's related to language capability or anything else you're doing. The world is an oyster. And I like how you emphasize it's so important not to always discount what you need to improve on. It's totally important to have a growth mindset, but 
Meanwhile, it is just as essential, if not more essential, to have the ability to acknowledge what you have and allow yourself to celebrate and maximize your strengths already. And I totally appreciate that for some people, it might be a given in an outset of our own culture, but generally, there is certainly a population, regardless of their nationality, who really need others' help to move them out of the rut to really embrace what they are actually good at to reinforce the importance of connection. Once yeah, again. absolutely. That's the importance of a connection and importance of getting different perspectives instead of keep telling yourself the same stories over and over again. And another example I would like to provide is really having honest, open feedback with someone you trust. For example, I used to have a really trusted, really trusted leader in my previous organization. We were working on a huge assignment. I was writing a report for my client, and I noticed that um, from my draft, she made a lot of like wording language changes on that. Initially, my thought was, oh my goodness, did I write something wrong? Was, wasn't, was that because of me? Was that because I didn't write good enough? But because I trust the leader a lot, I was able to bring that conversation very honestly with her. Like, I noticed you made a lot of changes. Was there something that's from my language perspective, was there something that's not clearly written? And she gave me the feedback like, you wrote seamlessly. The communication you've done was amazing, especially thinking about English as your language. You're doing a fantastic job. It wasn't because of you. It was just like everyone has different perspective around language, regardless if you're a native speaker or not. Say I'm a native speaker, I may think about this word is perfect in that context. And if you think about another person, also native speaker, that person may think about another word is more like proper for this context. So there's always different wording to choose. It's not about you. So don't just take that to yourself at the beginning. So I think that kind of feedback, a really open conversation is also very important. And that brings back to the quality of connection. You just need to have enough trust and you just need to have relationship that you trust a lot so that you can have that conversation and get the real feedback. Sounds like you have a good command of the magic formula or recipe for a high quality conversation as an enabler and launching pad to those high quality relationship, whether you want to enjoy the process of the dialogue or to convert to opportunity. And in case you've taken this for granted, I would say that what you've achieved today wouldn't have been possible at all without your ability to lead conversations, which is on top of the good command of English, which I see secondary, if not, not even secondary. So can you share more, building on what you just shared? What do you think are the key ingredients within a high-quality conversation to be effective in connecting with people? Yeah, that's a really good question, and I completely agree with you. I think English or the language itself is secondary. It is just a tool to help you to communicate. 
And what sits above that is some other ingredient that's even more important than your language capability to be able to have a real, like really constructive conversation with other people. I think the first thing first, the most important thing is your authenticity. You just need to be yourself. You can't fake to some other persona, some other personality. You just need to bring your real self to other people and be genuinely curious or be genuinely open-minded to share your story and listen to others' story. I think that's the most important fundamental to any conversation. So if I'm reaching out to people for a coffee catch-up, I will be really honest about what's my purpose, why I'm reaching out to you, why I believe you can help me, why I'm very interested in your background, in your story. You just need to be genuine and people can feel that regardless of your language barrier, regardless of your language capability, people can feel if you are genuine or not. That's the most important thing. And I think the second ingredient is you just need to be prepared, especially when you are doing when especially when you're having conversations in your second language i think at my beginning of my networking journey i prepare a lot i prepare sometimes i even over prepare for a single conversation whether it was a coffee catch-up or a meeting with an important stakeholder i always do my homework I will try to research a lot on the other side. I will make sure that I understand their background. I understand their experience. I prepare a list of questions to ask. Sometimes I will even send the list of questions to them just to let them know I would like to take you through these topics in case I get nervous or in case I will not be able to communicate that properly because of my language. And then after that, I always take notes. I always write some reflections about that conversation. If it's a business meeting, I will always send them a summary and be grateful that they had their time for me and to having that conversation. So at the beginning, I do a lot of homework and also I do a lot of reflections for every conversation I went into. But after that, I get more and more fluent. I get more and more natural. I probably don't do a lot of like writing or reflection that much anymore, but still the spirit is the same. You just need to be prepared for the conversation you're having be really clear about your objective, what you would like to get out of it, and then be also very grateful for people's time. Just be respectful. Mm, 100%. And whilst it does sound quite process-driven, without you necessarily preparing the full script, as you would have been so tempted to do once upon a time, it sounds quite process-driven, but as you pinpointed, over time, it will become your muscle memory. Not that you have an automated system in your headspace to produce a script and to automatically do the note-taking. But from the rest of what you share, I also gather that there's also a degree of mental hygiene factor to prime your mind with the attitude of gratitude, for example, and to always be in the mentality of giving before you receive. 
which is also, as you previously said, what will render you as genuine and wholehearted rather than just purely agenda-driven. Absolutely. I think what qualified a good listener is really about your attitude. Are you really curious about the other person? Are you really open-minded for different perspectives? Are you really listening what other people are telling you? Are you intaking all those information and having your own thoughts? These things are all the interpersonal relationship. You don't have to say anything, but the other person can feel that. They will always act upon how you make them feel. That's why I gather from some of the books I've read. What you say is outweighed by how you make them feel eventually by the end of the day, and that's more long-lasting for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, using one sentence, how would you boil down all your golden nuggets and advices to those who want to build a strong social network and live out their dreams in a second language? Well, I guess the advice I will give to people who want to be a strong network is really be yourself. Think about. What's your story? How are you going to tell them? And test them again and again with people. Be prepared, and be respectful for people. On top of all the insights and value you've already shared in so far in this episode, thank you so much, Sally, for your time and contributing with your wisdom here. Thank you so much for having me, Daisy. I hope that my sharing is helpful. It totally has been, and let's stay connected. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you've been inspired by what you've listened to, please share it with someone you know who wants to build more meaningful connections and convert opportunities in a foreign language. If this is also what you want to achieve for yourself, please send me a message on LinkedIn and Instagram. I'm at Daisy Wu dot Multilingual Connector. That is M U L T I L I N G U A L. Until the next episode. Here's to review the secrets to having the language barriers.